we just sort of slowly realized that all of us are such work oriented people that um that that taking the moment to just celebrate even just for a couple hours in an afternoon uh was not something we were we were skilled at, if that makes sense. It was just like, Our culture was always, wow, we did so great. I'm going to reward myself by working on a small fun project this <laughs> afternoon. Butterscotch shenanigans. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 274 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games program. I'm Adam, and I've upgraded my internet speeds to maximum. I'm Sam, but I'm the artist. Uh, this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is August 28th, 20 Blundy. Before we get started, we have a warning. Anything can happen in this show. It's going to be profanity. So buckle your pants. We'd also like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. If you would like to uh, throw some, some change into the pod bucket... Uh, to help support this podcast, you can just go to moneygrab.bscotch.net and we'll grab your money. All right. Now, we're going to do – we're going to mostly focus on questions today because um, we've kind of been light on questions mm-hmm. in the past. It's but, time. So first we just we just have like one little tidbit of uh, studio news, which is the tech debt burned down rodeo circus has come to a close. Mm-hmm. We have – it's what, three months probably? Something like that. Yeah, just yeah. about three months of so, time work. Oof. So let's let's mini let's mini post mortem this thing. Uh, so at the beginning, we said we finished Levelhead and we had a problem, which is we had all these older games, some of which dated all the way back to 2013, um, that were built on outdated web tech. They were very hard to maintain. Um, we felt bad because we had still had quite a lot of players there, but we couldn't offer good customer support. If people reported bugs, we'd be like, well, shit, that sucks. And then we mm-hmm. just have to move on. Um, and these games, and also as the technology changed, like the shapes of phones, phones with rounded corners, long phones, whatever. Um, as all these things changed over time, the games basically degraded. Like they weren't able to handle those kinds of changes. <laughs> And so the, they went from something that was like that we were proud of to something that we were ashamed of and basically tried to avoid. Yeah, and our options uh, were really kind of about. sunset them, you know, let them just drift off into the distance. and Which admittedly we talked about we almost a lot. Did, yeah, just basically yeah. unpublish them because – and the fact is they don't make any money really. Uh, and so – but we still have players in there and, and it felt – it just felt bad to say like the stuff that we made so long ago that kind of forms – the history and the basis of our studio that people still actively play uh, just to, just to drop that stuff um, completely. And yeah, it, it was basically a matter of uh, cut our losses and move on or just do some final investment just to make our, really honestly, just to make ourselves feel good about what we have because uh, we're not going to recoup that cost, although it will make our support efforts a lot. I mean, infinitely better moving forward. But that's assuming we were going to be providing support in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, so mostly it's just it just feels good to have a clean portfolio. Well, I think importantly though, because the truth is, like, if it were just about the emotional feel, then I would have opted to just burn the things to the ground and move on because because mm-hmm. that uh, feels pretty good. Feels real good too. Also does feel um, good. <laughs> and and really, it's it's the it's the question of cost actually. And so the interesting the place we came to uh, where we started with being like, well, I mean, we want to have our portfolio of games around. I think uh, through the discussion of, of should we burn it down or not was really actually more about um, one, the value of having a portfolio. Yeah. Right. In the first place as a studio. And then two, how, how our guess was that there was a likelihood that by doing all of this burn down work, uh, bringing all the games t- together, consolidating all this stuff uh, that, that on the one hand, yes, we would get the gains of, of turning the portfolio into something that was easy to maintain. Uh, but actually secondarily, that we would essentially be already doing a lot of the work that we would need to be doing anyways to set the ground for uh, Crashlands 2 development. Yeah. Um, yep. And I think basically it all comes down to being able to have portable content that would basically take from all the cool stuff we did in Levelhead and get that into Crashlands 2. But mm-hmm. if we need to get that into Crashlands 2, we could also get it into all the other games. And so Crashlands 2 doesn't exist yet. Let's figure out how that would work and all the other – yeah, so that's exactly right. Yeah, and so it ended up being, yep. I think, uh, a, an incredibly good exercise. Uh, I know Adam and Seth, you guys have both talked about 
how you know in the past we've done this for usually one game at a time where it's like, oh yeah, let's go fix up this particular game. But doing it in a way where you're trying to systematically uh, essentially reproduce this high level of quality across five very different games with all sorts of wild stuff going on in terms of the code base uh, actually made it so that the tooling became this really good mix of uh, specific enough for us that it's always useful while being generic enough to be deployable in just about everything that we do. Um, yep. Which it sounds like has been super fun both for you guys to work on and then also obviously very useful for us overall uh, as we're heading into the next project. Yeah. yeah. It's been incredibly yeah, satisfying been- to, to, you know, reach back across time, see all the garbage that we've made. <laughs> turn it into something less garbagey, right? And, and and there's been a whole bunch of stuff that we've we've learned in the in the, in the process because uh, as much as we say that while you're doing development, you need to make sure you're keeping your code clean, that you're take, mm-hmm. taking the time to to do things well and all that stuff. Uh, when you're in the middle of production, it's really easy to let that stuff slide, right? And, and so by focusing solely, I mean our, our sole goal was to get these things into a maintainable state, which basically means have them be clean, have them be good, right? Uh, and so by getting to focus on that, I know I personally learned a whole bunch of new tricks uh, for for keeping my code cleaner and for uh, for setting up better test environments. I mean, we've, I think we mentioned on the podcast before that, that bSketch ID had no test environment, right? So when I wanted to make a change to bSketch ID, I would literally, I would, I would make a copy of a script. I would call it that thing dot two, right? <laughs> I would go open up a version of a, of one of our games, you know, Talfight or whatever. And I would go into its guts and then I would change the place where it, where the URL looks for is, you know, was there to change it to be the dot two version, right? And it's then the live service would, that is and for then would, half yeah, a million and, people, right? So yeah, like, so it's to try to bypass the fact that I might damage something otherwise. And so like so so but that but the thing is just live there, right? And then if I feel confident enough that I got that thing working based on like the debug logs coming out of the game uh, and I didn't actually have any log on the server at all, so I just had to, I had to base I had to base my understanding of what's happening on the server by what I could see in the game, right? And if I felt confident enough, then I would just rename the thing, just delete the dot two to overwrite what was there, right? Mm-hmm. And we just and then boom, it's just hitting half a million people, just yep, like that. It's just live now, and so no staging, no beta testing, no, none of that. No, and so so the first thing that I did <laughs> when I was when I was migrating all the BSketch ID stuff into Rumpus was I finally built a test environment for bscotch ID because it was one of those things that was like, I don't, like bscotch ID is janky and shitty enough and the whole idea is I'm, I'm transitioning out of it. So this is no longer the, the realm that I've been in for the past like four years of bscotch ID where it's like, I need a surgical change. So I just got to go read this one piece of code, figure out how that piece of code works. It's at most like 50 lines, right? Mm-hmm. Find the spot I need to change, make it the tiniest tweak I can get away with and I can be really confident because it's so tiny that nothing bad's going to happen. And then now what I had to do was literally just like delete all of these things and replace them with with brand new code that is talking to Rumpus and like converting data formats back and forth. And so I couldn't get away with that anymore. And so the first thing I did was I set up a test environment and figured out like how do I set up a test environment for like a legacy piece of shit code and a completely different technology stack than the one that I've been using. Uh, so yeah, it's just been stuff like that. And, and even like the and then and that do making doing that practice sort of cascaded into my all my other stuff where. I have been doing a you know a decent job, right? You know, more or less of doing proper debugging and testing and stuff. But but then seeing just how much things improved, you know, by leaps and bounds by that by that one change over there, I was like, what else can I change in my normal day to day? And it ended up making just huge huge process improvements across the board for all these things. So it was it was a very good practice. Yeah. Uh, so we're we're in we can breathe easy now. Um, kind of the state that we're in with the portfolio now after this this months of work is all the games have uh, rumpus in them. They are we're kind of like rolling them into uh, open betas now. So if you want to get in on those on those betas for you know Quadrupus Rampage, Tile Fight, Flop Rocket, and Roid Rage, um, you can just come into the Discord Discord.gg/bscotch, and we have uh, links to those those betas in there. Um, so yeah, probably within the, within the next couple of weeks, these games will start to hit, uh, hit live players, like hit the, the mm-hmm. public. Um, and once they're all done, then we can go ahead and flip the switch and have a Vikings funeral for B sketch ID. <laughs> Shut <laughs> it down. Yeah. Glorious. Uh, so it's very exciting. And what this also means is the way that we kind of thought about this too, is that we're about to get, we're about to embark on. Frankly, the most difficult 
thing we've ever done, which is building Crashlands 2. Um, with the vision that we have for this game, uh, which we'll, we'll come to talk about over in time, um, but with the vision we have for this game, we know that this thing is going to – it's going to take every – thing that we have like every piece of knowledge that we've gained over the past decade of building games um is going into this yeah, and we're still discipline and good practice and good yeah. new technology there's all of it it's going to take all the time all the knowledge and it's still the case that many of the things in here are things that we've never done before um yeah. that are that are coming in in crashlands 2 and so that also means that we need lots of time to experiment and learn and all these things. So we knew coming into this that if we weren't taking good care of our existing games, then we would just continuously be randomly derailed by, oh no, there's a new iOS update and all of our old games are broken or, oh no, in-app purchases have changed or, you know, whatever the case may be. And, and we would then suddenly have to pause for weeks or months on Crashlands 2 to go back and try to fix those things. Um, so this was our way of kind of pre-investing and in clearing the debris off the runway for Crashlands 2 development so that we can just roar ahead. Um, so that's that's what's coming next, is starting, starting next week, uh, we are just all in on Crashlands 2 development. Mm-hmm. So uh, very exciting. And of course, we did the. We're doing the the responsible adult thing here, and we're having a pizza party. Yep. <laughs> so, <laughs> to celebrate the end of our tech debt burn down. Yeah. Well, uh, we we had this. I can't remember what happened. We were, so we have our town halls every Friday, and I think we we just made a joke about how it's weird how as an adult you don't have pizza parties anymore. Uh, even though, like as a kid, that was just if you remember that was like the currency of you know of like of celebration back in the day. It was like, you guys want to, you want to really celebrate? We're going to have a pizza party, whether it's middle school, whether it's a sport, whether it's in, even in high school. It's like, if you want to have people enjoy themselves and celebrate a victory mm-hmm. of some sort, pizza party. So, Which is funny too, because kind of in retrospect, the, the reason for that is because there's nothing easier to prepare than a pizza party because yeah. it's one kind of food, right? It comes in huge, enormous discs. Everybody loves it on a per person basis. Everybody likes it. <laughs> so you just need to like you just need to call up some. And then there's like a jillion companies that sell this glorious you know food. Yep. Uh, in every kind of variation imaginable, you can satisfy any kind of food thing basically. Or certainly these days you can. And well, so and just yeah, you just call up somebody. You're like, I want seven of these. And they're like, cool, seven. And they also all deliver. Yeah, yep. they'll just bring it to you. Just bring you, don't, it. you don't need to. You don't need to find a caterer. Or some shit. Yeah. Just call Domino's or something. But also, the party part of a pizza party is basically that a pizza party must occur during a time when you would normally otherwise have responsibilities. Yes. Right? True. Like, a pizza party has to happen during the school day, like in class. Right? Otherwise, you're just or having any- pizza during a party, which is a different – Yeah, because <laughs> I, I think that's, that's – I think that's like as adults, that's what gets away from us is like mm. – Shirking you know, responsibilities it, it, on purpose and being excused to have and having pizza and having pizza. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah. that's what makes a pizza because because you don't actually need any other thing to be happening during a pizza party other than I'm eating pizza and I'm not doing the thing I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> yep. The thing so you do could be anything. It could be chatting. Could be reading a book. Could be yeah. playing poker with your butt. It, does, it doesn't matter. It's just it just can't be the thing you were supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, it's a fucking pizza party buddy. Because I mean, think about it. You don't need to provide entertainment. You don't need pyrotechnics. You don't need a band. Nope. You don't need, you don't need anything other than not doing the thing you were supposed to be doing. Pizza so and irresponsibility. S- That's what you need. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so we are super pumped to have our Tech Dead Burned Down Rodeo Circus pizza party. Yeah, which is uh, happening right happening. after this podcast. Which I'm yeah, and we're of course doing it remotely. We're not, you know, we're not barbarians. So we're having we're having <laughs> yeah. pizza delivered to everybody's house, and we we pre started downloading some games this morning. So so on our queue is what? What are the two games we got? Among Us, which is a I think it's five bucks. On yeah, it's Steam. like a tiny indie game. Yeah, I, uh, which yeah. is all about like bluffing. Basically, everybody takes the role of a, a different person on a on a uh, spaceship, and one of you or multiple of you are traitors who are trying to you know cause the mission to go sideways. And so apparently, it's hysterical. And then the other one is golf with your friends, 
which I've heard a lot about as well. Which basically, I guess the easiest way to put it is is extreme mini golf, extreme mini golf, extreme yeah. simultaneous mini golf with friends. Oh, that's you true. Don't right? You don't take turns. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I remember, like back back when we were kids, there was a mini golf game we had. You guys remember that? That was like yes. Yeah, like you play on the moon at some point. It was the basics. Like, it was it was really good, but it was it also was, uh, it was one player at a time because it was what mini golf. Because back then people didn't have the the breadth of 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 uh, insanity about what what golf could be. You know yep. that we have yep. today with what the golf and this, <laughs> uh, this other thing. Yeah, society has progressed it has. Dramat- dramatically mm-hmm. in these twenty years. Yes, we'll be uh, usually with this. This is something we've actually done a couple of times now. It's just. Uh, Every so often, we're just like, we need to celebrate the fact that we've been kicking ass for a very long period of time. Uh, it's something we've actually – we had on our notes, I think, back in January of like 2018. 18. Is yeah. We were like we, – we just sort of slowly realized that all of us are such work-oriented people that, um, that, that taking the moment to just celebrate, even just for a couple hours in an afternoon, uh, was not something we were – we were skilled at, if that makes sense. It was like, Our culture was always, wow, we did so great. I'm going to re- reward myself by working on a small fun project this <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> well, yeah, it's the kind of thing you've always wanted to, which is actually what I was doing this very morning before. Like I've, I've, I've been wanting to make a URL shortener for ourselves for like uh, this whole time, really, mm-hmm. honestly, uh, because it just seemed like it's, it seems like such a straightforward, fun, closed, you know, like thing that can be complete thing to do. I can see a whole bunch of reasons it would be useful for us, but we don't need one, you know. But I just had like a little bit of time in a day yesterday, mm-hmm. a little bit of time this morning. I was like, can I just fucking – and this is, that's honestly all I want to do. I mean I know we're having a pizza party and we're going to be playing video games, but the whole time to be like in my brain being like, okay, when I get done with all this, <laughs> how do I – what are the steps I need to get to take to, to get this URL shorter created? Mm-hmm. So yeah, so yep, I too, I too have a, a Crashlands two prototyping conundrum that I'm currently in the midst of, and uh, I I really want to work on that, yeah. you know, instead of doing a pizza party. But I need to celebrate. Exactly. Yep. I I, I to need do to do it. Well, it's part of it. You got you got to keep yourself hungry for getting back at your projects. You know what I mean? I think there's yeah. there's some goodness that comes. But not from. not physically hungry in your belly, but mentally no, 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 hungry yeah. in your mind. That's right. You got to fill your belly with pizza. You don't want to be physically hungry while you're in your in your right. mind with yearning to program, <laughs> yes, or whatever. Speaking of prototypes, we should we should we're not going to say anything interesting about Crashlands, but we should still get the hype train rolling by talking about the fact that we have a prototype. We're working on we a do. prototype. Yeah, you can. There's a character moves around. There the sure world. is. Uh, sure there's does. there's cubes. things the character interacts with. Yep, you know. Cubes. But there's lots of cues. There's other stuff going on, and and I and we should also say, despite that, it's a prototype. It's nothing interesting going on. Nothing that we're going to talk about anyway. It already looks like it's going to be a hundred x better than Crashlands. A hundred. Yeah. Oh, my man. my intent on the art side is for anyone who looks at it and who knows our previous games to ask the question: Who did they replace Sam with? And yep. then and then I will just be chuckling <laughs> in the background. Uh, but so also, how do they capture Sam's spirit while also being a different person? Hmm. Tricky, tricky That's business. A, it's a real tough. It's a real tough hiring uh, practice. You it know, yeah. replace replace your one person you have doing a thing who's been doing it for ten years with somebody who is better, but also exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Got to use a soul swapping machine. Yeah, and those will run you fifty hundred bucks easily. Yeah, yeah. So not everybody wants to invest that kind of cash. All right, let's get on to some questions. These questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. The highest upvoted question for today comes from Alan MB, who says, I misspelled Crashlands 2 into Google as Crash Lambs. Mm. And now I'm wondering, did I misspell it? So that's our game Shep Hard, which you can play on uh, Crash.io. <laughs> basically Crash Lambs. Uh, by the way, should we still- buy CrashLambs.com and just have that point to Shep Hard? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that was the one where we did that for a what was it indie indie speed run, and that was a thing a couple years ago. That was a and, long time uh, ago. That was uh, that was pre that was pre Crashlands. Oh shit! Yeah, it was twenty fifteen. That was like six years ago or something. Yeah, yeah. It was it was during Crashlands production. Yeah, because uh, I remember game, we did the indie speed run, and then like three weeks later, Sam, you had your diagnosis. Was that right after that? Or yeah, my, you mean my second diagnosis. <laughs> 
Because what happened was we did the Indy speed run. We got second place. We got beaten by Sam Palavan. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay. A few weeks later, we went down to uh, that convention. Oh, yeah. In, in Austin, Texas. And I was fevering. And we and- were – yeah, and you were sick and fevering and all kinds of stuff. Um, and we just started chatting up random indies at the convention, and we 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 just bumped into Sam Palavan, who we didn't know who he was, but he just asked us, "Oh, did you guys do the indie speeder?" And we're like, "Yeah, we only got second place. Uh, somebody beat us with this crazy game about blah blah blah." And he's like, "Oh, that was my game." <laughs> like. <laughs> What are the odds? Like yep. worldwide indie game dev competition. We go to some random convention that we've never been to before, start chatting up a random person, and that is the one person <laughs> who beat us in this comp. It, I can't – it's insane. Yeah, it was that's one of those weird. That's one of those weird things where like sometimes the odds just seem too ludicrous. Well, you have to do that yeah. thing, right, where you're like, well, I guess we're friends now. Because yeah, you know what I mean. The thing like, is, we've we've kept in touch this whole time now. Yeah, uh, we, haven't, <laughs> we haven't talked to someone in a while, though. Of course, not going to GDC this year didn't help matters. Yeah, because things have thrown a wrench in the works. But mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, ship hard. It's Let's a good pitch. One. It yeah, if you got so if you got a PC, so yeah, I'll, I'll give you this pitch. It's a uh, it's basically a combination of tower defense and almost like a sumo wrestling mechanic where basically uh, wolves fly into your tiny little pasture land which has your little baby sheep in it and you have to thump them uh, away from your sheep and off of your pasture land which of course is floating in you know, space because it's what it's what life is um, and then over time you get mines you get little turrets you can put down that sort of automatically you know take care of some of these wolves for you the wolves get bigger and better you get more and more sheep to deal with and so basically the complexity goes up you have a salt lick you could throw down that actually sort of causes all your sheep to to you know gather at one spot, which is way easier to handle you know as far as dealing with these wolves. Uh, yeah, it is very fun. It's free. It's, it's on a niche. Game. You check it out. It's um, turned out pretty good. And uh, it's one of my favorites that we built back in the day. I just remember the eye patch problem, which is that the character we wanted the character to have an eye patch, but then we were flipping him left and right because we were just using an X flip, not X flip. Yeah. Yeah. Not drawing two different images. So technically the eye patch was swapping sides and Seth was like, ah, this is kind of weird. And so I just put an eye patch on both eyes. <laughs> and we were like, that's better. That's, <laughs> that's this more, was, this was how we solved problems. But <laughs> it's one of those things I find so aggravating because, because that game is, is a, is a stellar, and it's, it's a little bit better than a prototype, but it's, you know, it is still basically yeah. a prototype. Um, yeah, but it's, it's a it's a stellar frame of a game. It's the art's good, the gameplay is super fun. Uh, you can you can hit it for quite a while, and it still is fun, right? Uh, but thinking like, and I'm thinking about that right now. I'm like, I can't see a way for us to turn that into a profitable game, yeah. right? It doesn't matter that it's fun as fuck. It doesn't matter that it's hilarious and wild, right? None of that. But the question is like, is there some way to take that thing now, right, and then be able to market it and, and Finish it out, like not not as a big thing. Just finish it out, so it's just got a little more runway on it, right? Mm-hmm. Could we could we create it and then make it into a thing we could sell? Like I just can't I, see it. I don't know. I think you'd yeah you'd have to go with like a free to play thing. You probably do a free yeah, to play and then just do uh, do skin unlocks for your sheep and for your ship hard guy. Yeah, but if it's only cosmetic and it's a single player game, then yeah, like you're gonna make probably a max of like I don't know two G's per month yeah, on something if, like that. Oh, if you're very lucky. Yeah. Which again, yeah, that would be is great. The if max yeah. if you invested like a year into developing all these skins and more content. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's kind of an interesting question, though, because because we you know the, the kinds of games that we've taken to building now is is these large games that are have a huge number of of systems interacting, you mm-hmm. know, with each other. Um, and I, I mean, making jam games is super good. Not not for making an entire complete game that you can then sort of sell, but for learning how to quickly uh, conceive of and then develop specific game systems. Because mm-hmm. right, in a jam game, you're basically going to get like a handful of mechanics in there. Um, and if you're really fast about it, then you might be able to add some like uh, some some power loops in there, mm-hmm. on, uh, like add on top of those mechanics. Um, but that's about as far as you can take it in, in uh, two days. And so when it comes to making a game that's more marketable, uh, one of the things that, that people always talk about is engagement. Yeah. 
right? And it's something that we always we we kind of brushed off for the longest time as like who cares? Like people can play your game whenever they want, however they want, you know. But the fact is, if you look at games that that are the the top games um, on Steam or or wherever, and you and just look at their median playtime, yeah, just look just look at their median playtime. And you can see that, like, it turns out that the games that sell hundreds of thousands or millions of copies are the ones that have a very high median playtime, mm-hmm. which just means that that the game transitions from being something that you play and then sort of like exhale from your nose, be like, huh, "This is mm-hmm. nice," you know, uh, to something that actually moves closer toward the being like the centerpiece of your life, right? Of being a hobby, of being something that you do with your friends, of something that you spend a month trying to beat. Although you know, gimmick that kind of games thing. do sell. You know? They like do. There there are many games that I have bought that I know the main reason that everybody else also bought it was because it just, there was something really interesting about it that was sufficient for me to want to go experience that component right yeah but that within 10 minutes to half an hour that was i was like okay I, I get it and it was i enjoyed it just enough to not refund this right but but that was like the entirety of the of the loop um physics games and stuff right where it's yeah just like dumb weird physics uh so so there is space for that right but but i think those are you can't you can't plan on your your weird gimmicky game to be successful but you also can't Correct. plan on now, because because that's the thing you can do the most cheaply if it works, right? If, because that way you get your get your gimmick in there, get just enough game that people will, will come in the door, and then not refund it, right? And then and then and then want to talk about it because it's so weird or whatever. Uh, but that's nice because there's actually a very low investment there. And actually, I think actually our whole portfolio up until Crash Ends is basically like feels like that, right? Where it's like there's some gimmick that gets you in the door, and there's enough game though that you can keep on going. But like, but the the gimmick is kind of the first thing, right? Uh, but the more you invest in those longer term things, the more it's now required that you better get those fucking people in the door, right? Because because the cost of your development just keeps going up and up and up and up. Because it's not just the gimmick; it's not just the first ten minutes of gameplay. It's now you're now making everything be required, which is the space that we've moved into. So it, it's kind of an interesting kind of contrast of like we we feel today like we can be more successful with far more investment into much more. Uh, Let's give the word. Just less ludicrous overall of of game experiences because they need to have a lot more going on. They need a lot more coherence, right? Versus what we used to try to make in the past, which was just like arcade games, basically, right? Like kind of unhinged arcade, unhinged games. arcade game. <laughs> uh, and, I, and I wonder how much that's true, right? That like like that, that as in which which of those paths in the long term, right? Is because they're both super risky. Um, and so which one is more viable? And, and really, is it that even one is more viable or is it just a matter of which one did you get lucky with when you chose it, right? Yeah, I think – I mean if you look at uh, – I think mobile is a really good example of this because the, the hyper-casual genre has mm-hmm. become like the bread and butter actually for for most yep. – uh, for a lot of game studios uh, on mobile because – and what they're doing if you play those games is it's literally a game jam game. Like I don't, mm-hmm. I don't have any other way to describe it. It would literally be that if you took Shephard and you put that IAP system in, like as it currently is, you put an IAP system in it. Uh, that just has those skins or something like that. Spend three days making some new art for skins and then publish the thing like within two fucking weeks. Um, it's almost exactly that jam model. Uh, and the thing is like we have, we actually have some friends who who have transitioned to that. Like we started off in a similar place. We were doing mobile games. Uh, and while we a game would, a month. Yep. And while we, we yeah. transitioned over to making bigger games and then targeting the, basically the, the uh, more console and, and steam and PC platforms, they went the other way and just said, yeah, we're going to stick to mobile. Yeah, and lower and lower investment for each game. Um, yeah. Just rolling, basically because they know they're rolling the dice, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, I mean, that's that's really cool. But I think for, for the experiences that I personally want to build, um, I, it, to me, it's the, it's the difference between what you want to build at the end of the day for, for a player. And for me, it's like, yes, I want to make something that you enjoy sort of spending your time with or perhaps uh, distracting yourself or wasting your time with. Like, yes, that's always a requirement. Um but I would much rather be have it be something that you remember years from now. Well, I think the interesting point is that is that often when it's a matter of just like what would you prefer to do, now it's a question of like of what kind of privilege do you currently have to allow you to like make mm-hmm. a decision that might, yeah. might be the best business one and so on. But I think the interesting thing here is that it's not even clear to me that this is which one of these is the better business decision, right? So that so that in the end, the the only move we can really go with is to say, well, we as far as we can guess, like 
if if this is a worse business position to take that we don't think that it is right uh it's we don't have enough evidence for that enough belief that that's true to be worth like offsetting our preferred way of doing things which mm-hmm. is to make this kind of a thing um and then so there's actually we've been having these discussions recently as we're getting into crash lands too of you know what do we make next how do we make it um how much scope can it have all this kind of stuff and uh uh and the end of all of it was because we just don't know anything that the only viable move was to continue to enjoy what we do, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. <laughs> and, then, and then hope that everything works out um, and still treat it as a business, right? So still do all the businessy things, still try to reduce our costs and all of that. But yeah, but uh, I, mean, I think but it's, it's including that constraint in the that overall design process of like, yes, we already, we're including all the business constraints up front, but uh, yep. we also include the constraint of we all want to be really enjoying ourselves and feel like we're working on something that means a lot. So, that that has to be part of the mix. It's not an optional thing. Uh, yeah, which I think at the end of the day, it, does, it tends to push us toward this world building and just kind of a little bit more elaborate, I would say, more elaborate game systems and such than, uh, than perhaps we used to back in the day. Because we can, yeah. you know? Yep. It's fun and we can do it and we think it might be worth it. So we'll just do it. Mm-hmm. All right, next question comes from Chalosis, who says... Are there any user reviews of Crashlands or Levelhead that are seared into your memory for being painful or ridiculous or insane? So I would say I haven't found any reviews to be painful uh, because yeah. because it's such a it's such a matter of opinion, you know, like and, especially and the bias when, people come in with and the whole yeah. I, mean, I think yeah. the important one here is uh, at one point I think I was. I read a review and I was getting a little upset about it. And I think Adam said something to me that that somehow just kind of shifted my perspective on everything, which was the idea that when a when you're using a ruler to measure a table, you're also using a, the table to measure the ruler. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's this yeah. idea that you know reviews are reviewing the reviewer. That's yes, at the same time as they are reviewing the thing they are reviewing. Yeah, and so you know, with that in mind, it's it's keep in mind that that all this stuff is. Uh, a lot of it is is subjective. I think when you're looking at the aggregate, I would say that there are things that sting about about the aggregate of reviews for me now. Uh, whereas previously, it was definitely individual things that people would say that were mean. Um, it's moved to be like, oh shit, like we definitely messed up this like X thing because it's showing up in 40 reviews or whatever. You know what I mean? Like it's not, but they don't sting. Yeah, there are, yeah. There, are any yeah. Sting. there are a few that stand out. Um, I think the two that I can just remember offhand, which means they stand out, right? Are the person complaining about everything being gray and level head that causes us to change the color of stuff. Um, which again, I only remember because that, because we talked about it and that had that, that had that outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the other one, the one that I, that, that I think probably at the time certainly made me like probably actively angry. And then today I'm still annoyed by, I guess, is the, was it destructoid whoever, whoever it was that reviewed Crashland. Oh, yeah, it was just a fucking asshole about it. <laughs> yeah, no, they, that's true. <laughs> they were, they were just, just an fucking mean about it. Yeah, yeah they, were just, they were just mean, and uh, and but it wasn't well, just because no, if it was just they didn't mean, review was, it. They they said that the game was so bad that it they, didn't. Yeah, they hated it so much that they weren't going to review it. Yeah, uh, yeah. So so it was a pre-review or whatever. Um, yeah. So I mean, so that's and that's one thing. Like it's one thing just to, like hate a thing, right? But it also was for reasons that were nonsensical, which is like to me that's what made it actually like really infuriating. Because if it was just like if I agreed with the things that he hated, then I would be kind of bummed that we had done those things, right? And that's one thing, right? But here it was just this this fucking asshole just being so angry <laughs> about stuff he invented in his own mind. Right? I remember being weirded out by it because I was like, it was I don't so know why baffling. he's so angry about this. He just he came was, into it real real mad. Yeah. <laughs> and to me it was like – because it was, it was basically at that time. This was the time when Steam was opening its floodgates, yep. right? Like all this stuff was happening and there was this this crowd of PC gamers who were getting really – upset about the idea that all these these shitty mobile games you know, quote unquote right we're going to start migrating over to pc and like the whole thing would turn into trash and all this stuff and so when they were looking so this reviewer looking at crashlands was seeing it as a mobile or as a pc port of a mobile game right and he was reviewing it in that lens and so everything that he said was was basically with that because the things that he would say were all things were that were equally true of things like like Diablo and like, and there's anything that he said, like he, he framed it as being, look, this is just a shitty mobile game coming to PC. Right. 
instead of yeah. w- without the ability to be aware that all those things he was talking about were also features of extremely popular PC games because it wasn't actually so he just he right. just came in just ready to be mad and then just was and then was just a fucking asshole about it yeah yeah because it is that is like true we've gotten plenty of those reviews that have that are you know negative in some way but i think that one stood out because it was it was it was weirdly well there was clearly no win you know what i mean yeah yeah there's a difference between like saying negative things about about a game but literally being mean and i think for some reason i don't know if it's because of how you know how clicks and stuff work now but of course like if you're writing a review and you you know like it's it seems very casual, I think, for a lot of reviewers to like literally be to be mean about games or to say stuff that is like completely insane. Of course, the greedy devs thing we've talked about a lot, um, but uh, your know, combinations of that of of uh, also the just ca- I think the one that pissed me off the most with Levelhead was someone called it a budget title. Oh yeah, and I was like <laughs> the fuck. Like it literally has as much stuff. More stuff than Mario, Super Mario Maker does. Yeah, we're going up against a AAA title, and we held our own successfully. Right? Yeah, because I was like, calling it a budget title is a very specific way of saying that this is a low quality version of of something else. Mm-hmm. And I was like, right. I mean, I and, get and it. it's weird because like it costs a third as much. Yeah, which, so it is, which literally title, makes yeah. it a budget title. Like if it's basically saying like if you are interested in maker games. You know, and you also want to save some cash, then Levelhead is a great option because it's fantastic mm-hmm. and far cheaper than the competition, right? Mm-hmm. But that's not really how it. That's not. No, how that's it not what you're that's saying. That's not really how. <laughs> well, it's also not what you're saying. You're not like, yeah, I'll get the budget version of this thing. Uh, yeah. yeah. So that that was the one that I think I saw that, and I was like, dang. I mean, that sucks because that's the truth. Is like that's that's one of those things that you, as an indie, you couldn't. There's no way you can avoid that in particular with in our case with Levelhead, right? Where it's just like we're making a, a 2D version of a game that has a 3D, you know, uh, modern version. Competitor. Yeah. Competitor uh, that also is Mario as far as the competitor space goes, which is rough. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, the, the whole thing is just that. that well, was yeah, was, and I think uh, it's – to me, it's, it's – I think the, the theme of the stuff that always I find aggravating is always basically the – uh, when a, when a reviewer deigns to talk about an indie title like one of ours, right, uh, and then yeah. and then they and then they can only think of it in terms of like, okay, this is an indie title, so this is like worse by default. That's just how it is, right? And and then they start so saying given things. That the, since that's a given, yeah. Okay, since that's a let's, given, let's talk about. Let's get into, <laughs> yeah, let's get into it. Talk about kind of how bad it is, right? Uh, and but but it's funny because like you look at you look at then the reviews of say like our, our closest competitor, Super Mario Maker, right? And and if you look at the shit that Nintendo did when they launched that title originally, uh, and and they cleaned some of it up and and some patches and stuff, but like, but they had multiplayer, which people were so excited about. But then you could only play with a fucking random people. Like that was how you played, right? Mm-hmm. And it was broken. And most it was of broken, and it didn't work very well. And and <laughs> it, so they, yeah, there's this long suite yeah. of features. And if you read people's yeah. reviews of that, they would very gently and almost apologetically complain about these things, right? And then you look at like our game, and they can't find a particular thing they don't like, but it is cheaper, so now it's a budget title, right? Doesn't have Mario in it. So. It doesn't. Have, yeah. It's so, so I think to me it is it is the part that's aggravating is the it, it's not even the negativity, it's not even the and, and and stuff that's true doesn't bother me, right? Because like again, it makes me bummed that we did a thing or we or we didn't have enough time to like polish a thing or whatever. Um, but it's to me, it's the it's the it's the obvious and frustrating bias of it's the it's the free it's the free pass that popular IPs get for creating bad experiences, mm-hmm. uh, and the incredibly high standards that indies have to rise to far mm-hmm. above and beyond what any AAA studio is even capable of uh, in order to to get the same like level of uh, of of feedback. Mm-hmm. So which which isn't isn't always true i, I think it's, it's i think not, this yeah. it depends on the, com- how much people hate the triple a studio and because if it's an ea game people are going to try to shit on it as much as they can and like so yeah. there's a whole there's a whole system here but the, the point being that that uh, it's never about the game it's never about it's, the game. <laughs> it's about the context in which the the yeah. game arises yeah know? well the, like, the, yeah. the game is an opportunity for a person to basically write an opinion piece about themselves right starring the game as the the metric by which that person measures <laughs> themselves right uh, that's what all these things are, and, and, you, and you basically get to read the collection of, of interesting biases. That, because, I mean, you see this with all with also with, tri- with AAA titles, and people are if a, if a thing dabbles into some uh, you know quote unquote political stance in some way, right? Uh, 
uh, whatever, however people have decided to, to define politics, since that seems to be completely random, uh, then I think I think politics nowadays means an opinion I have, yeah, or opinion somebody that's else. Has. <laughs> if it's opinion somebody else has, then now that's probably then it's politics, right. and if yeah. it's opinion you have, then it's just a fact. It's, it's just, just the a truth, true thing uh, about the world. But, but so you see this kind. Of, so now you read a review by. So now if you read read a review of you know, by the same reviewer of two games, and and one takes a political stance while the other one does not, but. And now all of a sudden that review is about this political stance and like, and about, it's, it's not actually, it's not about the game. It's not about, it's now the person being angry by it out of the gate because of what that thing includes. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what's, but that's just how people work. That's how also the news is. That's how all of it is. And it's just, it's just so aggravating to be on the the side of all of that where we're just, you know, getting, it we're, is, on, we're on the worst side of that. Constantly. But I think, I think what's been interesting about it as far as this sort of the growth and understanding has been, that I think. You know, it changes your perspective. I think we live in a modern economy where like everyone's rating everything all the fucking time. Like, yeah, you know, like but I guess before when you were taking Uber or get like a you know you get a get a delivery person to come to your door through DoorDash, or whatever. Um, like everyone's just leaving fucking reviews for everybody all the time. Everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, like, as far as you are concerned, like there's very few people. Like so, in the case of like Uber, then right. So someone who drives an Uber vehicle is actually exposed to what what review systems are really and what they do, right? In the same way actually that we are, um, where it's basically – it's a, like you said, Adam, it's a collection of like a lot of random output uh, from people that's far more about them oftentimes uh, yeah, as far it's, as – It's the combination of, the, of being about the thing and the person because like there right. are people out there, many people, who will leave a bad review because somebody didn't do something that they – really shouldn't have done, you know, something completely absurd. Yeah. And things well, like not people, only that, not only that, people will leave a bad review because a review was asked of them, right? Like yeah. some, somebody might like, they might be, they might have been having a bad day to get out of an Uber. They're getting to their house. They're like slamming their keys in the whatever. Maybe they drop their keys and then their phone buzzes and they're like, what is this now? And they get it out and it's like, oh, do you want to review your ride? And like, I don't have time for this shit. One star, get out of my face, right? <laughs> uh, and now all of a sudden- it's not. It's not at all about what happened on the ride. Yep. And so, just, I, I think just, it's like. I mean, people who worked in who work in. Uh, I think if you work in retail, you've experienced this. If you've worked, especially if you've been a, in, like a wait staff, like if you have to deal with tips, like you literally have experiences because people will, people will come up with all sorts of reasons not to tip you for stuff. All sorts. It seems yeah, like. Well, a, and, and then the rating system itself, which is also a tip. Tips are a rating system. Yeah, right? same deal. Yeah, uh, they're they're so hilariously biased, right? Because because if you were to take like if if a waiter did a decent job, right? Just like on average, everything was fine. Now think about the cumulative amount of time and the number of things that the waiter did to like get that shit taken care of, right? It's like hundred things over like an hour or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And then they like forgot something. A you know, thing. A thing. thing. They, then you're like, mm, they brought all of your food. Down. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or they brought Except it out and something that. was too cold, which then, of course, wasn't even their fault or whatever. Right. And then you're like, mm, I'm going to knock this. What would have been a, a $20 tip down to a $15 tip? Right. For this, for this like one little thing. You see this in, in, our, in our game reviews, too. Right. It's like somebody's pissed off about just one thing. So, like, four out of five stars or three out of five stars. Right. Right. Uh, so, the idea that you did you did 99% of the things right, but mm-hmm. you lose 25% of the, of the tip or the review score yep. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's just, yeah, because people, people always, Amplify the the negatives or the mm-hmm. or the flaws, um, and yeah, I th- I think the thing that that really gets me about this is when it comes to random player reviews. It's like, yeah, I mean, this is how I expect it to be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it it kind of to the point you were making, Adam, about um, about professional critics uh, and the biases that so obviously creep in to their mm-hmm. reviews. It. The thing is, like, there's no there's no thing that you have to do to become like a professional licensed game reviewer, mm-hmm. right? Like, uh, there's no there's no any kind of like a bias training or, or whatever that you go through. There's no licensing bureau. Nah, it's about, <laughs> you, just, it's, you just start writing. Yeah, right? you just start writing. Yeah, who's who's willing to be paid poorly, basically, uh, to be able to write about video games? Yeah, it's right? a form of entertainment, though. I think it's the important thing, right? So yeah, you have to be able to write. You got to sell clicks. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because yeah. at the yeah at the end of the day, uh, we're all doing the same thing, which is we're all part of the attention economy, right? Mm-hmm. Like like uh, reviewers want people to read their reviews or watch their videos or whatever it is that they're doing, and so uh, because of 
of the you know the all powerful algorithm yep. <laughs> wherever whatever it is that's manage mediating what people see the thing that generates the most buzz and the most controversy and the most comments and clicks and whatever um, will just inherently creep to the top of of SEO and everything else um, so that's that's I think another probably big big part of the of the problem and you'll still see this too is sometimes people will leave a one star review uh, and have only good things to say about a game on maybe like Google Play or something. Because they know that these platforms will try to always show like the most popular negative review and the most popular positive yep. review, right? <laughs> and so people will come in and they'll give it a bad review so that – but then they'll, they'll say, hey, I only left one star because I think this game is great and I want to make sure that people see my review, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So the whole thing is just wild. Um, and it's really, it's really important to just not get fired up about – well, but I wonder how much of it, it too, because because it's one of the things that we've noticed over the years is that it's become harder and harder and harder to get uh, people to talk about our stuff, um, and that's a general thing, and just in the indie scene, right? Um, there's there's so much of it, uh, and because because it's been harder and harder for for uh, for online media to make money through through advertising, mm-hmm. right? And so this has all sort of gone into the you know further deep, deepening into this rich get richer scheme, right? And, and by rich get richer, I don't mean there's actual rich people involved. I just mean like that the, the weight all goes to one thing, right? Yeah. It all goes to the yeah. top. It's uh, a positive feedback loop. It's a positive feedback loop. And so yeah. so now you have to now I have to wonder when it comes to to, to these days to to somebody reviewing, uh, choosing what to spend their time writing a review on, right? So they could either choose. Uh, Popular AAA game, it's already out, or yeah, or something that's a that's yeah. a huge sensation like Fall Guys, right? Right about that. No, they have just basically built in clicks. They're going to get a whole bunch of stuff, right? Uh, so that's one way to get clicks is just to follow the current trend, right? And or things that are obviously going to be trends that people are already excited about. Uh, or you can do something that would generate clicks in another way. Writing writing a nice thing about an indie title is that. less likely to generate clicks than. Coming out of the gate, very angry about an indie title, right? Because now you can shit on that all you want, because like you don't have to. You're, you're not going to make any money by writing about that thing for the next like two months or whatever, right? Um, and you have infinite indie games at your disposal, right? So I, I wonder how much how much of that aspect of things causes that that or could allow that bias to grow between like, look how excited we are about the trend, the thing that's doing well, and look how upset we are about the sort of miscellaneous grab bag of, of other mm-hmm. stuff. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. All I, I know. know is that I 2020, think that's the future. If it's not the today, that's the future of 2020 uh, has enough shit for me to be upset about, you know, and I don't need to be upset <laughs> about video games. So that's, that's yeah. where I'm at. And I get that. That's like, you know, that's a, it's not a stance that pays the bills, but Hey, you know, I'm tired of it. So that's right. Sometimes at. you just got to opt out. Yep. So, all right. Next question comes from Allegrate Cold Crunch, who says, with the college year starting up, could you give any advice for wannabe game devs just starting college? What should we be learning or focusing on to not shoot ourselves in the foot? Mm, Well, don't uh, get COVID, first of all, because it's blown up on college campuses. Yeah, that's a tough, tough time. Yeah, tough time. Be careful. So, if you're in person, you know, be careful. Be very careful. Uh, But yeah. Beyond, you know, the uh, the halting progress that getting an illness will will put upon you, speaking from experience, um, uh-huh. I think when you're just getting, especially if you're just getting started uh, in game dev, you know, we've we've talked a lot about about game jams being a, a, just an ideal format because of the the focus nature of it, because of oftentimes the you know, ideally if you have a partner uh, who you can work with on this stuff. They allow you to make a lot of progress in a way that doesn't feel like work. And I can't promote them enough for that value because there's this one thing that I, I always get really mad about when I hear, and I don't think maybe this is equivalent, but I, I hope it's not. Um, but when I hear in the art world, uh, you know, there's people who ask questions to really big artists and the answers always come back to just like, uh, just keep drawing, just do more sketches or whatever else, right? When oftentimes a person's asking how to think about a thing, you know what I mean? Like the the answer that they want is not simply to be told to keep Doing random shit because although the answer that everybody <laughs> wants is always what's the shortcut, right? And I, so I think I think well that's true. I think it, it, it's it's one of the things that we all and, we, and we've all done this as we're going through our our careers and learning how to do stuff, mm-hmm. right? Is like there must be a secret to to everything, right? There must be if if only I knew this one thing that this wouldn't be hard anymore, right? Um, right? We all think that's true, but the the fact is it does all come down to 
doing the thing repeatedly, right? Which isn't to say there aren't tricks out there. There, there are absolutely tricks. There are things that are going to help you if you just know that thing, right? Um, but there isn't a trick that's like, okay, now because you because you did this, then now like you're an artist. It's easy. Mm-hmm. You're not going to have any self-doubt. Everything is fine, right? So while well, I get being annoyed by that being the advice, I also think that that is honestly like the advice, right? But it's, so the, the issue I have is that, especially when it comes to specific questions, uh, so in the case, one of the recent cases I'm thinking about is I saw this some Instagram artist who I follow who does incredible cool stuff uh, posted one of his pieces and then a, a fan question, which was something along the lines of like, hey, you know, I'm I'm really trying to get better at uh, at gesture drawing. What would you suggest I do? And his answer was this bullshit, which was just do a lot of gestures, which like is a given. Like it's again the same idea with this game dev question, right? To me, which is like you you need to be building games in order to learn some stuff. So beyond that, like what is actually helpful, right? What have you found? Right. Is there is there a way it? to is there a way to approach building games Correct. that would make it uh, easier, faster, whatever? So well, yeah, how, how, how do totally I think different. about this while I yeah? But you it. can't you're, give advice. You can't give generic advice until you understand what the problem actually is, right? So if somebody says like, "How do I get better at drawing gestures?" Has the person taken courses? Like, do they already mm-hmm. know the fundamental like theory, and they just ha- and they and they literally just haven't done it enough? Because I, without a doubt, a large fraction of people asking such a question will fall into that camp. You right? have never done anything enough, so far as I'm concerned. Like, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. 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 No and so the, the answer for a large swath of people might just literally be: you just have to do it more because you get it, you understand the idea, right. you just have to practice. Right. Uh, for other people, they may have like just heard of gestures and, you know, or, or taken a shitty course or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And so without, so in the case of this question too, it's like, okay, I want to, I want to become a better game developer. I'm in a, in a, well, in a become, program, right? become a game, or developer. become a game developer, right. Which is, yeah. which you don't do that. You just become a better game developer over time. There's no like mark where you're a game developer now. Right. So, but the question is, like, sounds, okay. that sounds a lot like advice, Adam. <laughs> so, the, so the question is, <laughs> where, where are you now? Cause that's what actually matters to answer this question. Right. What uh-huh. what is hard? Because if the thing is, if you are already making games on the side, you don't also need to do jam games. The value of a jam game is that it's a compressed time frame. It lets you experience the whole project, right? But I think most importantly, it constrains your time and turns it into a concise project where you have given yourself pre-permission to do nothing else, right? That is why mm-hmm. it's it's a way to do an enormous amount of practice in a short amount of time uh, without motivation, yes. right? Because that's to me, that is actually the value of a game jam is it takes motivation off of the table. And motivation is one of the hardest things to deal with, especially while you're in college or in other or, or working a full-time job or whatever, right? Yeah. And so if the reason that or if the thing that you think is what you need is more practice, which mm-hmm. it yeah. always is, uh, and you are not able to to like do projects on the side because you can't get the motivation for it, you don't have the time, you don't have the whatever right to do it. Uh, if you're not able to to, to just be doing that, then game jams are the solution, basically, right? Mm-hmm. If you are able to do that, then the question is, okay, well, what's for you specifically? Like, what do you feel like? Well, this is okay. Yeah, so this probably gets where into you which, at? Is, which is that most of these skills that we talk about with one word, whether it's drawing or yeah, game dev or whatever else, game dev is a multidisciplinary, a, complex technical field. Just a just an insane amount of actual skill. And so probably the, the easiest thing to do as far as how to make really rapid progress along these lines uh, is similar to what you do actually if you're, again, trying to learn quote-unquote drawing, which is uh, because it's a, a multidisciplinary skill, uh, everything from how you hold a pencil and make strokes to handling perspective, handling anatomy, whatever else, these are all different, completely different skills that happen to fall under the umbrella. And so uh, in game dev, it's the same shit. So if... I think that a really good way to think about it is to try to assess kind of where you're at on a couple of these different game dev dimensions. So I'm not just saying like design. I'm saying like, are you good at handling character movement, like player movement? Is that a thing that you've been, that you're familiar with enough that you could make a game that has sort of whatever movement scheme you want and it would be fun? Uh, have you done procedural generation for a, a world before? Have you done uh, really intense power loops uh, in a game? So it's just all about like a cookie clicker sort of number crunching thing. So basically pull out some of these elements that normally essentially like if you look at a syllabus that you have for design or for game dev i would almost take like take the subjects that you get on that syllabus and ask the question like do i know anything about this or how good at, how good am i at these various things where am i interested in and then do a project that is whether it's a jam or whatever else that's specifically oriented around deepening that particular skill. yeah now there's there's a an issue that might arise which is if you don't know enough about game dev to generate a syllabus 
I mean, it's just gotta start making more games. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I'll say too. There's a, there's a couple of of like common things that people uh, get caught up on early. It's like one is one is thinking that there's some kind of thing that you need to learn before you start making games. Right. So it's saying like, yep, I need to take my comp sci degree. I need to do this and that, uh, blah, blah, blah. And then within five years, I'll start making my first big game. It's like, no, no, uh, mm-hmm. making, making small games is the sketching process of game dev, right? It's, it's, uh, it gives you the, the frameworks, the, the mental frameworks to build up game systems. It teaches you about the tech. It teaches you what your weak points are. And it also provides you with new sets of problems to learn. And right? lots of context so, that you, when you start to learn things, you actually understand how they fit into the, yeah. Into the so there's no point at which you're suddenly ready to start making games because that, that point is now like that's already, you're already there. You just well, I think this is sort of the interesting it. conflict that I personally always have with uh, with self teaching versus structured teaching, right? Which is which is there are ways to do both well, and there are ways to do both poorly. But if you are using either in the wrong way, right, that it's guaranteed to be poor. And I think I think one of the things that frequently happens with with uh, structured training is that people are are using it basically as like a metric along which they're measuring themselves to decide when at some point I have become X. I now have permission to do X, right? Right. Because I've hit that phase. Like so so I need to become I need to learn programming before I ever try to make a game of any type, right? It's like no, you can you can prototype shit with cardboard and 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 start brushing mm-hmm. start learning how to like design games, right? You can just play a fuckload of games and review them so that you understand how games work and like, and mm-hmm. kind of get a sense of like where things don't work well. And so, so you start building design sense. There's infinite stuff you can do towards, towards that goal while you, and at the same time, allowing you to identify the stuff that is interesting to you, the stuff that is hard for you that you need to know the, the whatever. Um, so it's just that it, you just have to be careful what you're using the, the education. Yeah, well, for. well, not only that, but, uh, but I think, um, like you were mentioning earlier, Adam, about the multi multidisciplinary aspect of it, and this is, this is kind of to me is the second big uh, pitfall that I see a lot of, especially game programmers fall into, is they only care about programming. Mm-hmm. Yep. But a game is not a program; it's an entertainment product, right? And uh, that means that that if you don't have any understanding of color theory, of music theory of psychology cinematography narrative design if you don't know anything about about any of the parts of game dev other than how to write a piece of software then you're just going to make real real bad games right well even as part and of honestly, a team like, even as part of a team if the only thing you're doing is programming if if you don't understand the value of all the different components, you're going to be one of those assholes who's like trying to not do any of their work and like and like oh, I don't understand why the narrative team wants to do this. Like I'm going to fight this tooth and nail. I'm going to go optimize this tool I built. Like yeah. shut up. We need yeah. fucking music um, and, in this and, game. You know. So. And I would say you know for for me the most valuable um, knowledge like I, I have two core knowledge bases that I'm able to to pull from with my, with game dev. Uh, one is is my finance education. Learning how to build models out of real world uh, situations and learning how like growth works and stuff like that, um, like that's all finance is, and it has come incredibly handy for designing game systems. And the other is I made a lot of uh, I was really interested in film, and I made a lot of uh, music videos, short films, made a couple of hour long movies um, back in the day, and. And doing that forced me to think about all kinds of things that has repeatedly uh, come up just every single day as as I work on games. So it's it's just not the case that there's any like one thing that you should go learn, like just go become a computer science major and boom, you're a game developer now. Um, it's it's more about treating everything that you learn as part of the of the educational process toward because it all it just all is and and, and the, the way is, that yeah. it becomes that is that once you've discovered something new about the world or learned something or have a way of thinking about the world just apply that to games right mm-hmm. yep and, and honestly you know sam was a psychology major coming into uh into game dev and adam was a phd in molecular biology 
And all of these things have been extremely useful for us. And right? none and of them pull, are game development. Yeah. And we, none of them are side. programming, you know? Yeah. And we, we pull on them daily. Um, and, and, and we had to shore up our skills and teach ourselves the stuff that we actually do like on a fundamental level. So like I wasn't a programmer coming in. I had to teach myself that. Neither was Adam. He had to teach himself that. Sam was not an artist coming in. He had to teach himself that. Um, but that was all in service of the, you know, the broader goal. But the fact that we had this diversity of experience um, from outside of our fields has allowed us to approach things a little bit differently than, than mm-hmm. other pe- maybe other people would have. So that would, be, that would be my take on this. I don't know if you guys have any final thoughts. Sounds good. All right. Well, that's that's all the time we have for this week. Uh, We'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to everything. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.